Hey friends, this is Jeff. If this is the first time that you're listening to this podcast, we would strongly suggest that you start with episode one. This podcast unfolds like a book, and we would love for you to hit the ground running with us with our intro. Second, this is just the second episode that we ever recorded, so we are still working through a couple technical issues. Do give us some grace, but we love the content. And lastly, while you're listening, man, give us a couple stars because you love us. This is the way. We're going to get into it. You guys are the best. The bugs took the bombs. What are we going to do now? I don't know what to do without the bombs. Well, this tank could destroy the power generator and probably us along with it. I guess that's our only choice. Master, can you hear me? Master! So, set off the bombs! We're trapped! I'm sorry, Master. We can't make it out. Can't make it out? Ahsoka, wait! Fire! There's over 150 hours of Star Wars on film. This is the Star Wars Binge, where we select, order, and elevate the best 40 hours of the Star Wars canon. My name is Jeff Cook. I'm a philosopher in Greeley, Colorado. In Chicago, Illinois, is the Daniel Mothershed, playwright, comedian, and pop culture enthusiast. That is true. I am all of those things. We are joined by Josiah Mothershed, Denver artist and repository of Star Wars lore. <laughs> hey, what's up, fellas? Excited to talk Star Wars again with you. Gentlemen, we are watching the sixth episode in our deep dive. It's called Weapons Factory. It's from season two, episode six. My youngest son recently bought a practice balisong, which you will know as the butterfly knife. <laughs> he has been studying YouTube for tricks. And to get us started, we need like, we kind of a warm up question. This is just my rhythm. But you guys will know this. I'm as close to a pacifist as you can get without full buy-in, but I do like me some war movies and I appreciate the ability to wield a weapon well. So if you could be a master of any weapon at all, what would it be? I mean, I got to say the double-sided lightsaber. I mean, I'm going in universe. For, forget the real world <laughs> weapons. No, no. When there's lightsabers on the table, I'm gonna pick it up and uh, and go for it. Uh, plus, I've been, I've played a lot of Jedi Fallen Order, and there's <laughs> nothing more satisfying than killing stormtroopers all day with a double-sided lightsaber. <laughs> so, I, I, I'm going with it. That's mine. I, I am not gonna stay in universe. I'm I'm gonna go. Uh, I feel like I could either answer this like, is there a real life weapon that I would like to be really good at? And and it honestly would be like. I feel like it would honestly be a bow and arrow. Like if you watch a Robin Hood type of a film, like any, sure. anybody that can like archery sharpshoot, that is awesome. But I sort of feel like if we're going to go with, um, I'm going to go comic books. If you can go with imaginary weapons, if you had so knives that came out of your hands, that's the ideal weapon to, to desire, to, to go full Wolverine. You're just going to do some body modifications while we're at it. Oh, yeah. You mentioned bow and arrow, and I was like, that's a great idea. What would I actually love to just carry around downtown and then have somebody try to, you know, uh, rob me? And then this is the thing I pull out. And the first thing that came to my mind was was a bullwhip, Harrison Ford style. Yes. Somebody, if somebody <laughs> pulled out a gun and you just went for the whip, 
Okay, so you know when you're walking downtown and there's a naked guy and you you're, you don't know what to do with that. You're like, I just need to leave. I need to leave now. You cross to the other side of the street. The bullwhip yeah. has that going for it. <laughs> and then all of a sudden people are like, all right, yeah, I'm I'm out. You can keep your wallet. <laughs> if you were carting around like full World War One field artillery, that would also be uh, like, oh, let's leave that guy alone. It would take him forever to. It would take him forever to use it. But I feel that that communicates a level of instability. That's like, all right, let's. We're gonna wait a second. I need to get out my cannon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we did mention, uh, yeah, World War Two style weapons last time with the blowtorch or flamethrower. Have you got, Are you are you all Running Man fans? Arnold Schwarzenegger movie with uh, no. It's the guy with the flamethrower. It's a, he's a famous NFL player. Jim Brown. Jim Brown is is rocking the flamethrower. <laughs> his name's Fireball. And oh, good lord! He can fly. That's what his name. I've seen Running Man once. I'm not gonna lie to you. What? It's it's, it's there are maybe four Arnold. Schwar- and I've seen it none. So. <laughs> there are maybe four Arnold Schwarzenegger movies where I'm like, I really dig this, and that is not one of them. How did you guys get a gig on this podcast? <laughs> no background checks. Yeah. Nope. Knowing about Arnold Schwarzenegger was apparently not a prerequisite to being on the Star Wars podcast. <laughs> no, it was not one of the screening questions. Next time, I'm asking, what's your favorite Arnold film? Be prepared. Okay, so. It's the first Predator movie. Best B movie ever made. Yeah. That's not called Army of Darkness. Jingle all the way for me. <laughs> <laughs> You're out of here, Josiah. <laughs> So last time, we discussed the invasion of Geonosis by the Republic in order to destroy weapons manufacturing on the planet. Anakin, Ahsoka, Obi-Wan, among others, were able to destroy their shield generator, which is protecting the manufacturing. And now we find Republic forces outside looking to destroy the rest of the factory within. You guys ready to get into this? Let's do it. Let's do it. Our sixth episode in the binge is Weapons Factory. It is, again, Season 2, Episode 6. It is the second episode in a four-part Geonosis arc. The narrator to set us off. Actually, Daniel, you texted me that the the proverb, which we're not always going to hit, hit you this time. It what, did. What's the private proverb that starts this one? Uh, no gift is more precious than trust. It's going to be a big theme in this one. Yeah, that, given the state of the world and just the things that I value in my own personal life, uh, that that hit me like a bus. I, I read that and I had to pause it and I was like, wow, I, that's that's kind of wonderful. We should say a word. This will be the first time that we've talked about the Proverbs up front because they don't appear in uh, the season seven stuff that we covered and we didn't talk about it last time. So you got thoughts on the on the Proverbs that start these out? I was a big G.I. Joe fan when I was seven, and they used to have this thing at the end of every G.I. Joe cartoon where, you know, something would go wrong in the house, and the 10-year-old had to make a wise decision, and G.I. Joe character would come and and say, you did this exactly right, and you did this wrong. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe! Do you remember, have you seen these? I have, yeah. And and they feel like, um, <clears throat> now I'm just thinking of the beginning of Talladega Nights where it says America was built on speed, fast, nasty-ass speed, Eleanor Roosevelt. <laughs> 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 to me, these feel like, with, with the G.I. Joe example and, and even this, in a way, these are all morality plays. 
no gift is more precious than trust. That that'll serve you in all of your relationships. It'll serve you in any job you ever have. Yeah, yeah, I, I like them, and and it's perfect for the format of the show and the things that it makes you think of. I mean, that those are the things that kind of inspired Star Wars in general, right? Those kind of serialized things, and I, I feel like it's that little bit of sincerity, and so I think it's the perfect vessel for just kind of that little bit of intention with Star Wars. We should talk about this up front. Because the development of morality in Star Wars, I find really wonderful. You come in, there are no Sith. Like, the word Sith isn't used in the original trilogy, to my knowledge. It's all, you're all Jedi, and there's the light side and the dark side of the Force. And then the prequels come out, and whether it's conscious or not, some of the Jedi make horrible decisions, and some of the separatists are making arguments that aren't necessarily mustache twirling. Some of the stuff, for example, that Dooku says in Attack of the Clones is actually spot on and he's looking out for the galaxy in some ways. It's a great pity that our paths have never crossed before, Obi-Wan. Qui-Gon always spoke very highly of you. He knew all about the corruption in the Senate, but he would never have gone along with it if he had learned the truth as I have. What if I told you that the Republic was now under the control of the Dark Lord of the Sith? No, that's not possible. The Jedi would be aware of it. The dark side of the Force has clouded their vision, my friend. Hundreds of Senators are now under the influence of a Sith Lord called Darth Sidious. And the further that then we get into Clone Wars, the grayness that begins to emerge, the who do we trust, and how does Anakin's story actually go? And when Anakin falls victim to the dark side, he's obviously being taken advantage of, but many of his intentions, desires, pursuits, are altogether good, and it's actually the Jedi that are getting this thing wrong, which I imagine we're going to talk quite a bit about as we go through this. The idea is good, but the way you're going about it is wrong. Like, yeah, you can have the best of intentions, but you're still murdering children. Like, yeah, like the points the Joker brings up at the end of The Dark Knight, his observations about society are not wrong. The fact that he's killing people and, and, and it's just wanton chaos and anarchy, that's the problem. Like, you, you can be right, just you can also be a, <laughs> a, a, a psychopath. I was just thinking it's interesting, just the, the overall theme of trust in this one you see two different kinds of trust. And again, it kind of highlights a trust in something larger than yourself. And then as it relates to to Anakin, Ahsoka, and just kind of their their stories, a trust in yourself yep. and relationships. I, I like that distinction too. Like the idea of the idea of trusting in an establishment and then trusting in your uh, relationships, your friend. This is part of moral development. And just to circle back, this is why... Some of the stuff that comes out in the Clone Wars is phenomenal because you are teaching kids that the authority figures may be buffoons who are actually power hungry themselves, even though they are telling you, no, 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 that's not the Jedi way. And you need to know that there's people like that who may be overseeing your church, government, maybe even your family. Well, even the Jedi Order, I mean, the the Jedi Order being, this is not the the Jedi way, uh, it's still... Still an institution, still an organization, which comes with a certain amount of power. And it kind of makes me think of uh, the High Sparrows in um, mm. uh, Game of Thrones, right? You there? Where would I find the High Septon or High Sparrow or whatever bloody fool name he's got? 
It's not as good a name as Queen of Thorns, I'll admit. You should have the decency to stand when you speak to a lady. You should have the decency to kneel before the gods. Don't spar with me, little fellow. Here's this similarly peacekeeping, peace-minded, humble servant ideology, and yet they find themselves in a great position of power, and there's good and bad to every every side of power, and I think it was the same with the, the Jedi. That's a good word. All right, so again, Weapons Factory, Season 2, Episode 6. We're going to get into the deep dive. Uh, the narrator begins... The Final Surge. Having learned of Warlord Pago the Lesser's plot to rebuild a separatist droid foundry on Geonosis, Jedi Knight Anakin Skywalker and his Padawan Ahsoka Tano prepare to assault this heavily fortified installation. Their mission, destroy the factory at all cost. Anticipating stiff resistance, Republic Commander send Jedi Master Luminara Unduli and her Padawan Barriss Offee to reinforce the attack. But time runs short for our intrepid heroes as the dreaded droid mill nears completion. Uh, just to jump in, anything that you see there that's worth talking about? This episode to me feels like a Vietnam movie. Like when, when you watch films about Vietnam, it's always like, all right, we're going to drop you in the middle of this place. It's kind of a suicide mission and you don't really know what's going to happen, but we just need you to do that and hopefully we can pull you out of it at the end. Like, There's a whole thing about taking a bridge, which is the main entryway and exit to, to this thing, alongside of the, a smaller plot of, like, you also need to blow up this one thing. It's Apocalypse Now. Yep. Taking a bridge becomes real important in... A lot of battles. Uh, Saving Private Ryan is about taking a bridge. When you said that, the image that came to my mind was actually 1917, if you've seen this movie, in terms of you need to get from here to there, and that's that's going to be the story. That's a that. Oh my God, that's a great that's a great movie comparison. Yeah, and this one feels a little bit smaller than the last one. I agree. In particular, the last one is great. Like bang, kind of get in, and I mean it makes sense, right? This is kind of the the second in in this arc here. It's a very character-driven episode, so it's a little bit smaller, a little bit more intimate in that way. There's still the high stakes, but yeah, it's a little smaller, more focused story than the last one. As we move into this episode and here in the narrator's introduction, um, there's going to be three new characters for our for the binge that we are going to cover. One is going to be Jedi Master Luminara Unduli, and the second is her Padawan. Barris Offi. We're going to talk about them in a minute. And, and a third who appears uh, briefly in the last episode is uh, Pago the Lesser. Before we do, however, I think it's going to be important just for every episode just to talk about where we are and what time is it. So like time and place. This episode is set a year or so into the Clone Wars. It's two years before Order 66 and 20 years before the Battle of Yavin and Luke destroys the Death Star. It is the second episode in a row that occurs on Geonosis, and Geonosis is on the outer rim. That is, there's a galaxy. This is this takes place in a galaxy far, far away. These are some of the planets that are on the outer si uh, edges of the galaxy, and these are the, the planets that are controlled by the Separatists. And, of course, the Separatists are in a war with the Republic. They want to separate. 
Now, this is the planet where the Clone Wars actually begins and where the Separatist droid army is being manufactured. Anything worth adding to there? This show in general, one of the things that is rewarding about it is it shows you that these were wars. This was drawn out. This spread through the entire galaxy, uh, and it took a long time. Yeah. You know, what kind of war could fundamentally change the galaxy, transform the galaxy in this way? One that actually stretched out and, and one that was being won but being lost by them winning because it was spreading ultimately the future enemy forces uh, uh, over. Ah, uh, wait a minute. Let him finish, Captain. Clones, battle droids, you destroyed each other. And when you were both weak enough, the Empire took over. Yeah. One of the last battles in the Clone Wars takes place over Coruscant. So they, like, the Separatists are that mm -hmm. strong. They have moved from the Outer Rim to the center, to the capital of the galaxy. And so in Episode 3, when you have, you know, Dooku who has the chancellor, he's, uh, he's kidnapped the president, as it were, and there's a battle being fought over Washington, D.C., is essentially where this war will progress to. So the separatists are not flimsy. They have moved and infiltrated into the Republic's space, have taken their leader. There is movement and dynamics, and that plays out in these episodes. This is known then as the, the episode that we're watching um, this battle is known as the second battle of Geonosis. The first is what we see at the end of Attack of the Clones. And if we were to fast forward to after the fall of the Republic, we will know that the skeleton of the Death Star will actually be created by these local Geonosians in these rebuilt factories that we're seeing in this episode. And it will, that Death Star is going to orbit Geonosis for a season and then get moved to the planet of Scarif, which we see in Rogue One. And two years before Yavin, the Empire is going to decide to eradicate all living things on Geonosis, and they bomb the planet with these Nazi-style gas containers in order to murder all of those who knew of the Death Star and its technology. So there's like this hush-hush, secret-secret, we have nuclear weapons. I mean, we have the Death Star. Mm. Let's talk about this, actually, for a minute. The Death Star in New Hope symbolizes domination a new level of domination yeah it's essentially the emperor saying i told you i was going to give my power back in attack of the clones but i'm not and you will now conform to what i say or else i'll destroy everything you care about yeah 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 not only is it domination but i think it's almost it, it's almost like the erasing of like if there's nothing left of you, you never existed. You're, the fact that you, the fact that you resisted doesn't exist anymore, and the fact that you existed doesn't. I like the Nazi comparison, but it also feels like a very Stalin kind of technique of like I'm going to completely erase the fact that this is a thing from the history of the world. Yeah, it it just makes me think on all fronts who had control, and it, it was always always Palpatine, big time. To build on um, some of the stuff that Daniel was saying here for two seconds, the, there's an image in Schindler's List in which you'll, you'll have to remind me of the character who's the primary Nazi villain in Schindler's List. Oh, it's, it's, uh, it's Ray Fiennes' character, isn't it? He ends up going into an area of Poland, and he announces essentially that... 600 years ago, when elsewhere they were put in the blame for the Black Death, Casimir the Great so-called, told the Jews they could come to Krakow. They came, 
They came here with nothing. Nothing. And they flourished. For six centuries, there has been a Jewish placard. Think about that. By this evening, those six centuries are a rumor. They never happened. Today is history. And then there is a quote unquote, like a cleansing. What's a better word for that? I mean, there's there's the eradication. I, I think that's a pretty good word. Well, cleansing is a pretty good word. I mean, it's, it's not a nice word, but it's a accurate word. One of the things, and this is to build on um, what Josiah, what you were saying is Anakin throughout the Clone Wars is going to be questioning the system. And when the Death Star is created, one of the things that's great about uh, Darth Vader in both New Hope and, and Empire is he is questioning the Death Star. He calls it a technological terror at one point. He says, The ability to destroy a planet is insignificant next to the power of the Force. And clearly at the end of Empire, he is trying to recruit a Sith second-in-command for himself with Luke. And he is not necessarily on board always real skeptical of authority that will play out in some ways in terms of him moving from the Jedi order to becoming the second in command of Palpatine. But he doesn't just totally chuck his identity when he becomes Darth Vader. He still ha he has a different kind of identity there where he isn't like the other space Nazis in, in in any way, he looks different than them. He clearly has different ideals. He has religious tradition that he is very much committed to. <laughs> you know, if, if you find your lack of faith disturbing, he'll let, he'll let you know. R.I.P. Captain Nita. Because Ahsoka does that ultimately too, right? Yep. Uh, but I feel like Anakin is is questioning the authority and challenges it and and doesn't want to be controlled by it because he doesn't want to be controlled by anybody. Which you know think about growing up a slave uh, that's that's definitely in there for sure yeah but just again i mean you you see the same th types of things in ahsoka but with ahsoka because she has anakin as an influence uh it it just hits her different right like anakin makes certain choices based on a, a lack of trust of, of authority uh and then ahsoka kind of learns to to not trust mm. it uh, and they obviously take very different paths because of that, uh, but it kind of stems from from the same thing. I'll be real curious in this episode real quick. I think her young self and her motives are beginning to be exposed here, but they are going to be developed and become a little bit more robust by the end because she is the first. This will be one of the spoilers we refer to over and again. She is going to leave the order and she's going to do so before Anakin does, and I think that matters. I definitely agree with the idea that that uh, Ahsoka is is about questioning leadership and pushing back against that. And and again, to go back to what I was kind of saying at the beginning of this, it definitely feels like she's doing it for the right reasons. And I I don't. To me, it feels more like Anakin is is. Um, both as Anakin and both as Darth Vader, I, I, I feel like there's a very opportunistic uh, element to him of, of, of kind of thinking, oh, it seems like this guy over here might be slightly more powerful than this guy over here. So I'm going to start moving over here. Uh, and it's less about 
it's less about fighting authority and it seems to it seems to me much more like I'm going to throw in with the people who are going to protect me or not maybe not protect me but the people who are going to be the most powerful that I can find safety amongst. Yeah. Luke's might Luke's maybe more going to be maybe more powerful than the emperor. Rock and roll. I'm going to go hang out with him because I because if he wins I'll be safe over there. But also if he loses I'm still going to technically be with the emperor. So he's to 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 continue with our World War 2 analogy. Uh, he's Mussolini. Mm. I gotta think about that. I do think that, like, we're gonna talk quite a bit about, man, we may spend an entire episode just on the dialogue between Luke and Vader once we get to Empire, but the, there is something that is deep in the heart of Anakin that's actually coming out in Vader's call to Luke. You can destroy the Emperor. He has foreseen this. It is your destiny. Well, boom. We are 40 minutes into this sucker, and we haven't even gotten to a scene yet. <laughs> <laughs> this episode begins in a gunship with Jedi Master Luminara Undali and her Padawan Barisafi arriving after the landing at Point Rain. They are traveling to Skywalker's position as he prepares to assault the weapons factory. And this is the whole reason that they've invaded this planet is they want to destroy this weapons factory that is manufacturing droids and apparently will start manufacturing tanks. So we see clones there unloading their weapons and they're preparing for battle. And we cut to a briefing of a small company of soldiers. And Ahsoka says, This bridge is our first waypoint. Focus your fire on the gun emplacements here and here, because it's only- And then Anakin comes in on the, over the top of her and he says, Because it's only after we neutralize the guns that we can push for the factory. I was- And Ahsoka yes. pauses, she says, We can push for the factory. Now expect stiff resistance- And Anakin interrupts her again. Don't forget to top off your energy cells and ration packs. Once we leave, there'll be no resupply. Anything else, Ahsoka? No, I think you've pretty much covered everything in my briefing. Very well. Squad dismissed. I had to watch this scene twice because I I, w- I found myself like shouting at the I shouting at the screen. Like just let her talk. Like come on. How petty and insecure are you? Like oh no, this young woman is leading this meeting. I better I better jump in here and uh, show you that uh, show you that I, I I know some stuff. This is not Anakin at his finest. <laughs> I think that's exactly the point that the show is seeking to to put forth. I mean, it's not like anyone who's creating this episode thinks this is a great move on Anakin's part. You know, Ahsoka's coming from a place of being young, of being the Padawan, but then, you know, here she is, basically a, a general uh, by relation to, to Anakin and, and Obi-Wan. There's some, some not-so-subtle undertones here, obviously, of you know mansplaining and just interrupting in general. Yep. I mean, she's the most compelling character Maybe in general, but definitely out of the two of them. Like, she is clearly, even though she's as young as she is, she is a proper leader. Anakin is not. Ooh. I don't have to think about that. Yeah, does Anakin have true leadership qualities, or is he just a physical specimen? I think it's the latter. Yeah. I think there, there's something worth saying there. Watching this episode, there's a couple things that I had to remind myself. Is one that... Ahsoka, despite the fact that all these clones look like grown-ass men who have been around the block, and actually Ahsoka is two to five years older than all of them. Anakin is five years older than Ahsoka is, but they're all still under the age of 20. The, uh, the clones, as you'll know, mature at a much faster rate. 
But this is a squad, uh, Anakin says. So it's just like, I mean, if you look at it, it's just like nine or so guys. Right. Anakin is the general over the 501st Legion, which has 12,000 troops. And Ahsoka is not only a Padawan, but she is officially the second in command alongside Rex. And here, she is set aside when speaking to nine fellas. <laughs> she is second in command to 12,000 men. And here, it's like... So one of the things that I heard when Filoni pitched the character of Ahsoka, what really got to George Lucas in terms of him saying that's the direction we should go is that Lucas has daughters and he wanted to make star Wars for, for his daughters. And some of the messages that need to be communicated through star Wars need to be about contemporary issues. And one of them is that men are going to talk over you cause, cause, cause they're buffoons. So let's, <laughs> let's, let's picture this and, and let's, show someone you know a female character who navigates those sorts of scenarios with great grace and class so anakin is set up to be a guy who is he's not doing this maliciously as we know through this episode he deeply cares about ahsoka tano that's not in question it is how is this going to materialize and so anakin looks at her he says okay what's next you know, Master, my briefings might go better if you didn't interrupt me every time I tried to- I wasn't interrupting, I was trying to help you. Which I would appreciate if you didn't interrupt me to do it. I just think maybe you don't trust me to give the briefing. It's not about trust, it's about getting the job done right. Uh, so you don't trust me to get the job done right? Three times trust is mentioned here, it's the opening proverb, and we're gonna see issues of trust later. Anakin says- uh, Snips, I never said- No, no. It's okay, I understand. I'm the Padawan, you're the master. She takes a big step back right here, but it's also kind of a screw you, I'm gonna do what I want move. Yeah, I, and, and again, it's obviously intentional, but I think it just speaks to Anakin's immaturity and his insecurity. Like, he, he cannot not be reckless, intrusive, even when he's asking if she was okay after him interrupting the meeting. Like. Hey, are you okay? Yeah, I am. Okay, well, hold on, because here's why I interrupted you. Well, I'd like to tell you why I'm upset. Yes, please, I would love for you to tell me why you're upset. Go ahead and tell yes. me. And then he interrupts her 30 seconds later. Like, come on. Mm -hmm. Get over your... Get, you, like I said last time, you're still the, you're still the nine-year-old kid from that planet. Like, you, you might be in your 20s, but emotionally, you are still the nine-year-old kid watching pod races. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's kind of a self-sabotaging thing that Anakin does. Like, you know, he cares for Ahsoka, but you said it, Daniel, like he can't help but be his kind of just reckless uh, self. And in the same way, uh, his, his uh, like, bravery and the things he's able to do does give him leadership qualities, but he's not a leader. He can't truly accept that. Uh, and in the same way here, he, he does care for Ahsoka. And it's, it's like this self-sabotage thing that... Uh, continues for him he also contradicts the the um the sort of proverb of the episode about trust when he says it's not about trust it's all about getting the job done right which mm. I, I think is very interesting coming from a guy who has never listened to or followed directions or orders since he was told as a little kid just stay in that cockpit <laughs> <laughs> 
So that was the first thing I looked up uh, when I was looking for, what do you talk about here, was mansplaining. And apparently there is another term out there. Being a man, I was not aware of this, but apparently, I'm sure it's been used about me and others. It's manrupting. So there's the mansplaining, <laughs> which is, I'm going, I'm going to tell you something that you already know in a condescending voice. And there's manrupting, which apparently... According to a study from George Washington University, it showed that men interrupt women 33% more often than they do other men. Oh. It's still the case that men interrupt other men. You will see, for example, our podcast the first couple minutes. However, <laughs> there is interrupting ends up having motive behind it. And this needs to be stated in terms of who Anakin is and uh, again, the, the sorts of obstacles that somebody like Ahsoka is going to wrestle through and on the other side is just a champion and affirmed, as we saw, you know, in the, the last four episodes of The Clone Wars that we watched to start the binge, she is revered, honored, and elevated by every male she encounters at, at the highest levels. And she has navigated those waters in a way that demands affirmation. The thing for Anakin is that that root motive is there in whether it's insecurity or a need to establish his position in front of this squad of nine people. I don't think of this as about bullying and I'm not sure it's about control issues. His speaking over her I think is going to come out throughout the rest of this episode and I think he's interrupting her for a reason that we're going to be surprised by and it's going to be something like protection and he needs to wrestle with that he needs to get his own mm. body heart and mind around that obviously Anakin at this point in time has seen women that he loves killed and he has some issues to work out and maybe those come out in very unhealthy ways with this relationship well, I think it's about f fear, uh, you know, ultimately, right? A lack of trust in that conversation for her to say the right things, do the right things. And, and so it might not manifest uh, in, in a way that is obvious that he's afraid. But, I mean, that's just kind of the theme of, of Anakin as well, right? It's just this he, uh, afraid, afraid to, to lose anything. I agree. I can't remember who I heard say this, but I, I, both anger and fear are the last mannequins that fall before you see and hear how somebody truly feels emotionally. Ooh, um, yeah. I don't. I do not remember where I heard that, but it is. It's like burned into my brain a, as a relatively anxious, fearful person. And I think maybe to maybe to some people the the fear doesn't come across with Anakin here, but I think it really does because I think if you're afraid, it's going to increase your need to control something and hang on really tightly to things. Hence him saying, uh, it's not about trust, it's about getting the job done right. When you are fearful, that makes you anxious. When you are anxious, you, yeah. you, you are not relaxed. You don't go with the flow and you sort of steamroll over people or make people feel insignificant when, when indeed you are the one who is just afraid. You just don't know how to communicate that. that. That's great. He doesn't care about getting the job done right. He cares about this woman in front of him. It's just the thing that comes up first for him in that moment. But he has other motives, and those are going to get exposed in terms of how he deals with watching the building collapse that his friend is inside. also think... Snips is the most disrespectful nickname. Did they ever explain that, Jeff? Do yeah. You, like in the original Clone Wars movie that came out. Before. It's in the movie. Yeah, okay. Who's the youngling? I'm Master Skywalker's Padawan, 
The name's Ahsoka Tano. So I thought you said you'd never have a Padawan. There's been a mix-up. The youngling isn't with me. Stop calling me that. You're stuck with me, Sky Guy. <laughs> what did you just call me? <laughs> don't get snippy with me, little one. You know, I don't even think you're old enough to be a Padawan. Well, maybe I'm not. But Master Yoda thinks I am. We should read some full Metal Jacket into this. All the clones get their name in the first two weeks of training camp. You know, <laughs> where it's 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 your cut up and your droid bait and you know and your sky guy and your snips, it's it's that kind of thing and your Joker and all the rest. In fact, there's some Full Metal Jacket references in the in the next episode that we watched. I made one. I made a couple of them in the in the uh, previous episode we watched as well. Do do not think that these folks aren't saying what would it look like to make Full Metal Jacket for kids. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's some stuff. If you ask Stanley Kubrick, he did that. <laughs> Man, that's a tough movie. Such a tough movie. What's your name, scumbag? Sir, Private Brown, sir! From now on, you're Private Snowball. Do you like that name? Sir, yes, sir! Some of my professional work, as you guys will know, is, is studying personality types. When confronting problems, some people will shut down their emotions and try and solve problems logically. And there are some people who what they really want in times of conflict is for the people around them to feel the same way they do. And so a lot of a lot of problem solving becomes very emotional. It seems to me that both Anakin and Ahsoka are the latter. They want the people who are around them to feel the same way they do. And so that's why they're so vibrant in in combat zones and <laughs> they're the same in combat zones as they are when they're in a boardroom. But these folks walk in <laughs> and they're just like, you know, straight laced. We're no emotion. We're all stoic. We've bought into the Jedi system. They're like Vulcans. Yeah. Oh, wait, wrong podcast. I think there's that we, we, we can certainly uh, reference some Star Trek. <laughs> in the episodes to come, uh, there's going to be some brain worms that cause people to... Uh, change their loyalty. I don't know if I've seen that anywhere else, but you know, maybe might be in a famous movie. Other than every iteration of Star Trek. So the gunships land, Rex says, Good day, General. Skywalker's waiting for you. There is something about the Jedi's being, we are the stoic religious priests and we are generals over this army that never quite fits right for me. And I think that might be intentional. You know what I mean there? Oh, totally. It's like watching watching Yoda command troops at the end of Attack of the Clones. You're like, okay, but this doesn't really sit right. And I don't think the Jedi tradition probably wants that either. Mm -hmm. We're keepers of the peace, not soldiers. It also seems like there, there are a handful of moments in this episode where I feel like for a group of people that are supposed to be stoic and passive... Uh, passive in the sense of like not combative. Yeah. Uh, you see, a, I feel like you see a lot of uh, passive aggression from a lot of the Jedi's in, in in this towards Anakin, towards Ahsoka. There's a lot of like, well, we're gonna do this. Yes. Hopefully. Right. <laughs> it's just very, very like bit, a lot of bitchery and like passive aggressive uh, passive aggression from people who aren't supposed to be angry. Yeah. Well, there's still hierarchy, and there's still this is you know this is what we do. This is what we don't do. These are the people who have the say and the power and who make the decisions. And if you're, you know, underlings, then it doesn't matter. And, you know, uh, power needs needs structure, and, and structure uh, means power. 
Yeah. Say it's the case that, that you don't have all your stuff together and you're an emotional person and your emotions are overflowing in these in a combat zone where the lives of human beings are on the line. There you go. It's like, okay, have you got this? Are you set? Because you'll notice, we'll get to it, but Undali kind of says, I think I will take the steering wheel from you, young man. At it again, are they? Again, Master? Undali is familiar with the fact that these two are very emotional. Let's just say that they have a penchant for playing loose with regulations and rules of command. They have all sorts of issues that are beyond those. <laughs> but Yes, and? Undali is presented to us as a wiser, older Jedi, and she's rightly judgmental. And also, she is rocking the soul patch. <laughs> I don't know if you guys got into this, but I don't know that I've seen a woman who's pulled off the soul patch as well as this Jedi Master. I assumed they were, I assumed they were face tattoos, not necessarily a soul patch, but I like that. Yeah, soul patch is way better. Yeah, let's go with that. I, I kind of had those in my mind as the same thing. If it's in this area, you know, it's soul patch. Because we all know that's where your soul comes out. <laughs> Anakin says to Ahsoka, yeah, but when I say it, the clones, they actually listen to me. Well, if you don't trust me, then maybe you should send me back. <laughs> don't tempt me, Snips. And I actually want to pause on this line. It seems to me that Anakin's opinion here is going to be overwhelmed by Ahsoka in the end. She is worthy, and she is worthy not only of Anakin's trust but she has every right to trust herself. And then Undali and Barris arrive. If finished with your little discussion, we do have a factory to destroy. Condescending as she is. Well, Barris, aren't you going to introduce yourself? Actually, it's not necessarily uh, condescending if, you, <laughs> if it's the case that you are a general and his second-in-command and people are going to die in the next 30 minutes uh, based on this military operation. Let's go back to Anakin and Ahsoka for just a moment, though. Is it the case that this uh, nickname, then, is condescending at this point in time? In this particular usage, yeah, it feels like it. So it's just more of the same. You interrupted me, and now you're calling me names. And you, now it's in front of another general. It's not even in front of just nine guys in our, you know, under our command. In my opinion, it backs up the idea that Anakin is is sort of willing to tether himself to whoever is the most power, powerful person in the room. He's the, is it, are they remoras that, that stick to the underside of big sharks and just sort of ride around on them? Like that, that's what he feels like to me. His allegiance constantly shifts to the most, uh, most powerful uh, sort of, sort of uh, anchor in the room. He does defer to Undali a couple times. Yeah. I mean, uh, that kind of goes to the self-preservation thing. And I think the kind of, um, the back and forth between Anakin and Ahsoka here and, and their relationship in this moment. It goes back to what I was saying in the previous episode, which is that kind of brother-sister relationship uh, where they care about each other. One second, you, you care about each other, you're protecting each other, you do anything for each other. The next second, you're, you're arguing and, and fighting, and you just can't. It, it is in your nature of your relationship. This breaks open something that I've really wanted to talk about, and it's that Ahsoka is a much better window into Anakin's soul than Padme is. Mm. Um, romance is going to cover s some insecurities. You're trying to put forth your best self. I clearly care for my lover. When you have a younger sister and you are not trying to impress her, mm. but you care deeply for her, 
you're going to see different things. And Filoni's use of Ahsoka in the Clone Wars, in my mind, saves the prequel era. It is the most important thing that has happened in Star Wars since the original trilogy. And the reason is because it saves this character. And it actually, because you save the character, you save the universe. And now we can tell stories galore. But if you mess this up, you are not going to have anything worth emotionally investing in. And for me, and this is why we're doing the binge in the first place, for me, this window into Anakin makes all the difference in terms of enjoying the power that is actually there in the original trilogy in a more depthy way. I, I agree. Uh, I, I, that's why I love this relationship. I think it's a better stakes for Anakin than his relationship with Padme. It, I mean, as we saw in the prequels, but even as it's represented in the show, I mean, in kind of everything, it's a very, very small um, uh, story, really. Whereas I think this sets up lots more opportunities for you to actually see complexity in Anakin's character. Yep. The the protectiveness and attachment, and, and it's so much more complex than, than his relationship with Padme, so I, I agree completely. I'll defer to both of you guys on that, just because I'm not as familiar with uh, with with their relationship throughout the entire series, but, but from what I can see, yes, I, I think you're probably right. That's actually an excellent word, because there's going to be some people who are listening to this who have not yet gone through the whole Clone Wars and it's like I love Star Wars I'm going to jump into a podcast and let's see what's there and dear listener don't sit on this character the it's I, I again my best analogy for Ahsoka is she is a very young Arya Stark without quite they can't go as dark in this show because it's on Nickelodeon <laughs> but 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 think of her in those ways because the payoffs for Ahsoka are some of the best Star Wars there is. Do not be surprised when you get into this character and and she rips your heart out. Am I wrong? I'm not wrong, am I? No, no. And I was going to say, you feel free to cut this, but what are your top three? There is, not spoiler, there's the Leaving the Jedi Order. Yep. Second is what we started out the binge with. It's retaking Mandalore, reengaging the Jedi Order and serving her descent to Mandalore is the equivalent of Luke walking into Jabba's palace. I am a fully empowered knight. And the fact that those who oversee Star Wars decide that as she is descending to Mandalore to play the full uncut force theme alongside her theme to say she has fully materialized as a Jedi Knight, but she is not part of the order, but she is the total embodiment of the spirituality, the pursuit of goodness. Man, it's just like, they, they have just created one of the best characters that's on film. There's just not a lot out there that's a young woman who represents the sort of virtues that she does at such a depthy level and then yeah. with the exception of the end of empire the my my top star wars moment is stuff that happens at the end of rebels season two uh yeah so we'll get there yep we'll we'll talk we'll, we'll talk Daniel for a while for, <laughs> yeah the anakin ahsoka stuff particularly in rebels uh, um and then the way they finished it in the clone wars and the jedi order is kind of a wedge between them 
you know, between Anakin and Ahsoka and, and the way, right. the, the way they split off from the wedge too, is pretty interesting. Um, like we said, the, the authority kind of put the, the lack of respect or trust for, for the authority kind of pushes them to opposite ends of the spectrum. Right. But the Jedi order was kind of the wedge that did that. One, one of the things, and we see it in this episode to come back to the episode and it should not be understated. Ahsoka is figuring out who she is. And once she figures it out, she is one of the most powerful beings in this galaxy. Do not be surprised when it is Ahsoka who takes on the mantle of, of Yoda. There is somebody who needs to get who needs to follow Yoda, and apparently Luke didn't do the job because we watched those movies, but somebody's going to. <laughs> and I and and we're, we've hit Lord of the Rings stuff all over the place here. We still haven't gotten to this silly episode. David Filoni routinely pairs Ahsoka with Gandalf the Grey. If you were to imagine Gandalf as a very young person and what Gandalf's story might look like, it's it's identical. By the way, just think about this for a second. There is there is an older um, brother like figure in Gandalf's life. And that older brother-like figure is corrupted by a dark power. Oh, God damn it. That's absolutely right. <laughs> and Ahsoka taking on the mantle of Gandalf, you, you will get a chance to see her lead hobbits later on. Um, her transition from Gandalf the Grey to Gandalf the White is something that we're going to get a chance to see in Rebels, theoretically. They haven't really gone into that mythology yet, but but it's mm. there. And and Filoni has has tweeted out little drawings, little sketches of Ahsoka and Gandalf together. His sketches are awesome. So just just be prepared. Just be prepared. I need to follow him. I don't follow him on Twitter. What literally right now as we are speaking, I'm going to follow this guy. And that comes into this episode, which we should probably talk about now. Where are we at? Uh, we, we were just starting to talk about the immature spat of, of Snips. <laughs> so, Undali says, If you're both finished with your little discussion, we do have a factory to destroy. Well, Barris, aren't you going to introduce yourself? And of course we need a character introduction. Padawan learner, Barris Offie, at your service. Music and language sounds like it's out of The Hobbit. Glad to meet you. I'm Ahsoka. One of the things that I actually hate about Star Wars is they don't know how to introduce characters. If you're if you're coming in and saying, Hi, I'm Joe, hi, I'm Fred, that doesn't work. And I get Skywalker. Meet Obi-Wan Kenobi. Hi. No. You're a Jedi too? Pleased to meet you. Learn how to introduce your characters, man. <laughs> the right way to do it in Star Wars is to have them be in the background, no dialogue but something distinct enough about them that they become a character like, you know, 20, 30 years later. That's the right way to do it in the Star Wars, not just to come right out and say it. I also feel like the, the way a lot of Westerns introduce characters is great, where, where like Josiah said, you've got a lot of characters in the background who suddenly are not important up until like they do something big and everyone turns to look at them and then they're suddenly it's like, oh, right, here's the other member of our team. It's so and so, and they're like, "Call me Bronco" or whatever <laughs> dumb thing they say. But like, that's how you introduce cool characters. You introduce a character by having him shoot a guy in the corner, come up to the bartender, flip him a coin, and say, "Sorry about the mess. 
walk out of the bar. <laughs> that, my friend, is a character introduction. Don't screw that up, by the way. Absolutely. Let's talk about Jedi Master Luminara Undali. Uh, like many of the heroes, this is a character who has limited screen time in the movies, but Dave Filoni builds her into an important part of the galaxy, begins to expand the mythology. Uh, we see Undali fighting in the arena battle on Geonosis. So there's Jedi there falling all over the place. Like, you know, uh, two-thirds of those guys probably go down. And so just a sliver of the Jedi Knights actually survive, and she's one of them. Um, and, of, of course, if you if you watch Attack of the Clones, she would have died if Yoda and the these clone troopers, who they had never seen before, don't arrive. So just for her motive, her background, she, like Anakin and Obi-Wan, have returned to Geonosis. This is a place that she may have died. They're going to assault the droid and tank manufacturing operation. So she's a Jedi Master. So she has the highest rank in the Jedi Order. Um, she oversees the 41st Infantry Unit, which is known as Elite Corps. And she has a Padawan. And if we were to actually look across all the Jedi Masters at this time, that makes her fairly unique. Both overseeing a core, having a Padawan, being a Jedi Master. Aren't a lot of characters that have as much power as she does in terms of military operations. Important note here, each of the cores, when I say cores, um, each of the cores are made up of 36,000 clones, and they are led by a Jedi Master and a clone marshal commander. So when we watch Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan oversees Sky Corps, which is the 7th Infantry Unit, and his second-in-command is Clone Marshal Cody, and Cody is there all the time. But Obi-Wan is overseeing almost 40,000 clones. And so we should see Undali in that way. That she is a character who oversees a large portion of the Grand Army of the Republic. And she's on the front lines. And she has a ton of responsibility. I think in the episode, she serves uh, the same as Kiati Mundi in the, in the other one. Where yeah. you get to just kind of witness... A, a much better re or a I guess a better representation of what you would think a Jedi should be uh, a lot more stoic a lot more grounded a lot more more steady and and so I think she has a similar effect kind of especially highlight the differences in in Anakin and why he is not Jedi like in that way I have literally the same thing written down I had, I had Kiyote Mundi written down and it feels like <clears throat> every episode has a has a Jedi Order babysitter that kind of is sent in to to supervise the kids, so to speak. I love that idea. It would be like all these characters are green and that guy's orange. Anakin's orange in all these scenes. And in order to show the contrast of him in the Jedi Order, you need a bunch of green characters. And then you look over and you're like, why is this guy orange? Well, he is going to be special throughout this story. Yeah. And the way that you establish that is you just make a lot of characters very, very similar. But that, that is it. Undali, Obi-Wan, and Mundi are all stoic characters. Shut down emotion. Solve the problem with your intellect. Embrace the Jedi tradition and, and, and follow the chain of command. Yeah. And nearly all of the drama and tension that's created by Anakin is... Well, that's not for me. 
Yeah. <laughs> the reason mm-hmm. the reason Star Trek works is because they're consistently disobeying the prime directive. If we just obeyed the prime directive, we would have no drama. You know, it's it's real similar here. 100%. Yeah. Well, it's interesting with this episode, I, even when I was watching it, I feel like the, the whole episode is summarized in the very beginning, talking about Trot, and then the contrast between the two master-Padawan relationships, and, and everything else that unfolds is, is important, of course, but I, I feel like the, the real meat of the episode is, is somewhat um, front-loaded. So, Undali is a uh, character that we see frequently in the first two seasons, but she all but disappears until episode three. And I don't know what the show writers are trying to do there, but, you know, fun fact, her core in episode three is the one that escorts Yoda to Kashyyyk where they fight with the Wookiees. And so that whole Wookiee scene that's in episode three is her overseeing that whole core fighting for the Wookiee planet. And her second in command, whose name is Gree, he's dressed in that green kind of camo armor. Yeah. He receives Order 66 from Palpatine, as you'll know in that movie. We'll be done, my lord. And then he goes to kill Yoda and is promptly beheaded. <laughs> Which... But they've been fighting for two or three years. So it's, again, one of those things... We don't care about the clones if we just watch episode two and three, but Filoni does such a good job at establishing the motives, the heart, the desires, the personalities of these clones. And so when we when we actually do get a chance to discuss episode three in the binge, hopefully some of these characters will actually pop a little bit. And it show it, it just shows that at the end of the day, the clones the clones are created to do a very specific thing. So as much as we see their personalities and we see their characters and we kind of come to like them, when rubber meets the road and suddenly an order comes in, well, that's what they were created to do. So they turn and execute it, which I think is I think I think is very interesting. To wrap up on Undali, she is one of the few Je- Jedi who does not die in Episode Three. And we see her again at the beginning of Rebels. And this is one of those, one of the few moments where we're going to just say, I'm not going to spoil this because it's interesting. And we're going to likely cover this episode. Um, But Filoni uses this character post Order 66 in a really interesting way. It's again one of those places where Star Wars decides to talk about contemporary American issues and I don't know that there are adult thrillers that are movies that go as dark as they do with this character I like re-watching rethinking about what they actually do with Undali it, it's not for kids <laughs> it's actually really dark and so just be set up that this character is here. She's a general. She's overseeing 40,000 clone troopers. We're not going to see her a lot in the rest of the Clone Wars, but she is going to be there. In, you know, we're going to see Barris again, and then we're going to see her in episode three, and obviously things go badly. All we kind of know is that her whole core turned on her and Yoda. That's all you know, and then Rebels 
is going to pick the story up and they're going to use this character in a very aggressive way. For those of you who want to jump ahead, it's uh, season one, episode five of Rebels. Last uh, last thing here is Andali is one of the voices that we actually hear speaking over Ray at the end of The Rise of Skywalker. So uh, any, any big thoughts on this character? My big takeaway is when you think of a character that represents the actual um, like pillars and ideas and thoughts of what it might look like to be a true and proper Jedi, feels like it's her. Mm-hmm. Like she, she is embodying those things more yeah. than, say, certainly Anakin, but also even Obi-Wan or, or some of these other people. Like, I mean, she says at one point in the episode, like, I'm basically, she says, I'm willing to sacrifice the people I care about for it. Like, yeah. she, she's properly, she's in. Mm-hmm. Well, and as far as the question of how did Jedi end up becoming generals in a war, I mean, those kind of stoic attributes are what make good generals, right? As the character in the last episode who was actually. Yeah. The general or admiral, you Lauren. He had some of the same qualities, right? Very, very s- smooth and steady. Keep a level head. This is what we're doing. Okay, here's this plan, that plan. Execute. Doesn't matter. Yeah. On the topic of of why the heck are the the Jedi generals? I mean, it does make sense in that way from just that personality uh, trait of you know. Okay, we're just gonna go forward, calm and steady. This is a plan, and and move towards that plan, and it's not emotional. I like that. There's the person that you know from school who had all the genetic giftings and just things came easy to them. And there, there's a lot of that going on with Anakin. And then there's the person who was always in their books, always studying, always doing what the teacher said, always was following the direction of those in authority and eventually was valedictorian. And that's who this character is. Mm-hmm. Totally. And all the masters that you see, uh, you know, Undali, uh, Mundi, Obi-Wan, seeing stuff with Plo Koon is really cool when you, when you see, yep. there's consistent personality traits that make you realize like, oh, okay, yeah, there's a reason why Anakin never achieved the level of master because he is unlike any of these people that you see. He's an orange guy in a room full of green people. Yeah. They and they probably rightly don't trust him. We're gonna see obviously we'll have that deep discussion when we get to episode three, where he just gets shot down in front of everybody for exactly these reasons. You're you just don't have what it takes to be a master right now. And some of the masters are literally green, so yeah. <laughs> uh at least three. Yeah. It's just it's just Star Wars being racist. But but we'll get to the we'll get to the Gungans later. <laughs> I'm trying to think if we ever. I don't think Gungans make the binge. <laughs> the, 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 they sh- they shouldn't have. All right, so we cut to soldiers who are loading uh, into gunships, and Andali says, a, "A frontal assault is risky. Our losses will be high, but not as high as they'll be if that factory comes online." Two very different sets of values here, and I love that the difference in values is going to play out between these two characters throughout the episode. One is all about the risk right now, and I have an army, and I don't want to see my soldiers killed. Anakin has a 30,000 feet up view. If we don't take out this factory, it will spew droids into the galaxy, and we're going to be fighting them on every single planet. I mean, again, you kind of see two people with seemingly different objectives that are kind of fighting for the same thing, but also kind of not. 
who has personal attachments, who doesn't, and, and what are, do they care about from that? Yep. And there, there's good and bad from each. Uh, so again, it's kind of one of those things that if you, if you sift through each from a certain perspective, it's hard to say who is right and wrong. Exactly. It, it, it does seem like the Undali is much more, let, let's try to keep the unnecessary loss of life down. I think everybody understands it's war, people are going to die, unfortunately, but it seems like she is interested in keeping the loss of life down as much as possible, whereas Anakin feels much more like, oh, it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, we're, we'll do more good by sacrificing all of these people now than we would if we did nothing, and I think that gets to kind of what we were talking about earlier, which is you can have the right intentions, but if there's recklessness or, or, or inappropriateness in the way you go about it, that's what makes you a good guy versus a bad guy. Yep. There's a turn because Undali pitches a new solution, which seems to meet them halfway. She says, Indeed, but there is an alternative. Every Geonosian building has a series of catacombs beneath it that run deep underground. Some of the tunnels are close enough to this cliff wall so that you could cut a hole and make an entry point. Once inside, we could find the main reactor, plant the explosives, and blow the factory inside out. Well, looks like a good way to get lost, if you ask me. That is dismissive. That is disrespectful. It, it seems like the notion that anybody who's like really properly thought out a plan of attack to him, it's like, no, I hate this. I hate this. I hate the fact that you may be planned a little better than I did. How dare you? Those who are controlled by fear often distrust authority. Yeah. Right? And Anakin, furthermore is surrounded by women who have done their homework mm -hmm. and where he is able to dismiss Ahsoka in front of the boys. Now the women are saying, we studied this. This is a worthy, thoughtful, prepared plan of attack. And he can come out and just be emotional about it. Well, you might get lost. But then Andali says, So the unprepared perhaps? But I have instructed Barris to memorize the labyrinth, all 200 junctions. Which is just a, like, sit down, little boy. You're not prepared. Let the grown-ups handle this. <laughs> I've instructed Barris to memorize the labyrinth of all 200 junctions. Again, there's <laughs> the, the valedictorian uh, work ethic in this, in this pairing. Anakin says, You always were thorough. It pays for one to be prepared. Right, Barris? Especially when other people's lives depend on your success. You all are fighting and squabbling about irrelevant high school stuff here on the side, but the grown-ups ha have arrived, and we're going to lead the attack. Ahsoka says, How do we keep the Geonosians occupied while someone else is setting the bombs? Good point, Snips. If whoever's going in there is going to be successful, we'll need to create a diversion. Precisely. That task will be carried out by you and I, Skywalker, while the destruction of the factory falls to the Padawans. Now hold on, who decided that? Walking into that factory could be suicide. Wanna pause there because actually it will be suicide. At the end of this episode, Barris and Ahsoka are gonna decide to kill themselves in order to destroy the factory. Mm, yeah, yeah, heavy. Anakin's not wrong here. Right. Well, and I think it kind of the, this whole real dynamic between uh, Undali and her Padawan and Barris and Ahsoka and Anakin, yeah, you have one picture-perfect relationship and then one very dysfunctional relationship um, 
yeah, you see that that perfect relationship didn't lead to perfect results, and and especially won't lead to perfect results later with with the the Padawan. But the the contrast between the two pairings there, uh, one is perfect but not perfect. One is super imperfect but still gets the job done. It strikes me that one of them is very heady, mm-hmm. and one of them is very emotional. Whether or not you make the value judgment, the emotion or thoughtfulness ends up being better or worse. They are a approaching the problem in very different ways. And Dolly says, Not if you and I are successful holding Poggle's attention at the bridge. This won't be a suicide mission? Master, I can do this. I've had riskier assignments. But unlike Barris, you aren't prepared for this mission. I don't think that Anakin thinks she's unprepared. I think that Anakin is terrified that he's going to lose somebody that he cares about. And that colors everything here. It's not that he's condescending. All of his character flaws and all of his trajectory to the dark side is exposed in situations like this. And they do it all the time in the Clone Wars. Here's why Anakin's going to lose. Here's why Anakin's going to lose. And this is just another one of them. Well, and he doesn't want to be separated because, I mean, it goes back to control, right? Like, if I can charge, I can charge the front lines... Uh, of any battle or you know and and i'll lead the charge uh, i'll take care of it but at least if my padawan is there i can protect her also you know while i'm being even slightly reckless so it again comes back to control i also wonder if there's maybe a sort of lack of understanding of his own feelings and emotions that maybe goes on with anakin Mm. so so whereas like you know he's just feeling a lot of emotions and and as as a as a emotional person as well I totally understand that. Like something happens, and your first you you feel a wave of emotions, and maybe you don't fully know why you're feeling those things right away. So the first sort of thing that's going to come out of your mouth is being kind of dismissive or kind of kind of a jerk. In that, yeah, but you're not prepared. Like you're just so afraid of something. Your your you know your knee jerk reaction is something out of fear that's kind of insulting because you haven't fully processed uh, what it is that you're deeply reacting to yep here's the thing Undali knows that anakin is afraid her next line is not to worry my padawan is reliable again she's solving this with her head not her emotions and Barra says we'll be in and out master and ahsoka wants to calm anakin's fears and she says see dependable barris will get us through don't worry, Master. As you well know, I can follow orders. Twice, worry has been brought up with Anakin. By the way, the line, dependable Barris" may come back mm-hmm. to be worthwhile in, in future episodes. I think it might. <laughs> hmm. The perfect pupil, right? That's why I say the perfect pupil, uh, you know, is not, not truly. It's not, it's not a spoiler. It's foreshadowing. Yes. Just, it's just a little nugget that's planted there. <laughs> and Dolly says, It's decided then. I guess it is. And of course, the women have determined the plan, General Skywalker. That must be really hard for him. It must be. And Dolly synchronizes a chronometer that will track the Padawans underground. And these will obviously come in handy later. <laughs> and then the two split. Uh, and Dolly says you feel ahsoka is not up to the task she understands that anakin is feeling hesitant i never said that what is it then nothing let's prepare the men and of course if you're an emotional type like anakin is nothing 
let's do this other thing means I have all sorts of opinions about this situation and I'm not going to tell you. It means what you said is absolutely true and I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> Although right. he did say she wasn't prepared. So for them to turn around and be like, I didn't say that. It's like, well, we have you on record. <laughs> right. No, 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 no. I didn't say that. Well, yes, you did. Just with words, though. Great storytelling is always showing, not telling. And if Clone Wars is going to succeed, they have to show that Anakin cares about the safety of Ahsoka and not just tell you that Anakin cares about the safety of Ahsoka. And one of the possible failures of this episode is that it, it actually isn't quite as explicit as we might want it to be here up front. But if you're familiar with the rest of the binge, it's there. And we can read back into these sorts of episodes that Anakin truly cares about Ahsoka, truly is protective like an older brother would be about Ahsoka. And a lot of his motives and language come out of a very condescending place, a very fearful place, a very I know that I'm a superstar and can protect you place. We'll have to make a bold move if we're to draw them out of the factory and keep their attention on us and not the Padawans. The best way to do that is to march our troops straight up the middle, parade style. They can't resist that. With no cover? Well, we have to make it tempting. Anakin is asserting his skill set here again. It's like, I lost that last battle, fold that hand. I'm going to tell you what we're going to do tactically across this bridge. I'm fearful, but the way that I get past my fear is I'm going to be reckless. Well, and it's, it also, it, it just feels like a total disregard for life, too. You know, and, and that's, that was kind of the, that was the moment where I was like, oh, this feels like a Vietnam movie. It's like, let's just put the guys out there and, and they'll draw cover. You know, like they, they will draw the fire while we do the other thing. Anakin gets moral props in that he's on the front lines, at least. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Daniel is, uh, yeah, he's not Team Anakin. I, I, I am, I will say right now, I am open to changing my mind. Now, it is the case if we go with Anakin's afraid but very protective of Ahsoka. He is stepping forward and saying, I will take all the heat. I will make sure that all the fire is aimed at me because I can handle it. In terms of Anakin, he is saying, give me all the pain. Mm -hmm. Cut to inside the weapons factory. We have a robot general talking with Poggle the Lesser. I've always wanted to be called Jeff the Lesser, but <laughs> that just hasn't ever stuck. But for Poggle, I I'll, ch I'll change your I'll change your name in my contacts <laughs> right now. Jeff the Lesser. <laughs> if I could pop up on Mothershed's phone as Jeff the Lesser, <laughs> my life would be complete. There's a robot general, and he's speaking. He says, The factory is operating at 50% production capacity. We have 10 garrisons of new droids ready to deploy. No, the super tanks are not ready. But when they are, the Republic forces will be routed. They have no weapon that can penetrate its heavy armor. The picture here is twofold. One, they are producing weapons just now and trying to get into this and trying to catch up with the assault that's outside and second um I, I read up on this garrison isn't an official unit of military numbers 
you have just a building that's filled with people as a garrison. Mm. So that building could be enormous. That garrison could be the size of my house. You know, it could be 50 people. It could be 6,000 people. Who knows? But apparently they have 10 garrisons worth of new droids, and he thinks that's a lot. They're using it in the same way uh, they would use parsecs, uh, you know. It doesn't mean the same. It doesn't mean the same thing in the, in Star Wars. We need to talk about Archduke Poggle, the lesser. Do you know the reason that he's the lesser and not the greater? I don't. There is a queen who is actually the one who oversees the Geonosians, and her name is Karina the Great, and she lives underground. And we're going to see her in the next episode. That next episode is not part of the binge, but if you wanted to go further. It's a real interesting episode. Actually, both of the episodes that follow this are really worth watching, but they didn't make our 40-hour cut. So Poggle is overseeing kind of the face of the Geonosians, but he's not actually the ruler. And he's overseeing the creation of the droid army. Also has plans, as we see in Attack of the Clones, for this super weapon that can destroy a planet, which he gives to Count Dooku. And after this battle... He's going to be imprisoned, and eventually he is going to be pursued by a Republic officer whose name is Orson Krennic. And this takes, and this takes place in the books. Orson Krennic, the listener will understand, is the, the big baddie from Rogue One. It's like played, played very, very well by, by the great Ben Mendelsohn. That guy, that guy is a killer Australian actor. Um, what ends up happening then with Krennic is that in exchange for a drone workforce in allegiance to the Republic, Pogel is let free and returns to power where he continues to work on the Death Star. But this is under the Republic at this point. And then he sees an opening and Pogel eventually moves to serve Separatists again and he joins other warlords and they all get together on the same planet, which is called Mustafar. And they hunker down there, and it seems like the Republic is going to fold, and like the battle is going to be won for the Separatists. And, of course, their guy, Sidious, comes out on top. And so they're set. They're ready. They're hanging at Mustafar. We're going to control the galaxy. And then a new guy shows up. Welcome, Lord Vader. We've been expecting you. <laughs> and you have seen episode three. And that's actually where Poggle dies. He's one of those those henchmen, bad guys sitting around the table who Vader, you know, Anakin with red eyes comes in and says, I'm here to kill you. And they all start bargaining and that's not going. Yep. And that is Palpatine consolidating power. And that's the birth of the Empire. So that's uh, so Poggle dies at the birth of the Empire. The war is over. Lord Sidious promised us peace. But here, the attack has begun. Forces are going across the bridge, the weapons factory, and underneath we see Padawans climbing down to do their secret adventure. Anakin says, Here come the droids. Everybody steady. Steady. Keep marching. I hope the Padawans have made it past the bridge by now. That looks like a lot of droids. Well, it is a droid factory. As long as we can destroy them faster than they can make them, we'll come out on top. I love your simple logic, Skywalker. Here we go. If we win, we don't lose. 
battle ensues. Padwans are cutting the door open in the foundation of the weapons factory because that's what it's really about. That's one of my favorite uses of the force that I've seen when she cuts that the square to get that thing open when they climb in and then pulls the chunk out with the force. Yeah. that was, I, I wrote it down. I was like, coolest use of the force I have ever seen. Yeah, there's so many moments where the animated uh, format it just makes the force 20 times cooler. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like that's some of the prequel flavor, w- which was a lot more uh, showy w- with with the force, which is the stuff, again, that, that I like just because it's cool. Well, Ahsoka is impressed, and Barris says, I should go in first. I know the way. Any thoughts on Barris at this point? In- I just seems like a badass to me, like like a very prepared, very tactical badass. I, I feel like she's got some understated female ninja going on here. Oh, yeah, totally. And she's informed. So just to talk about Barris, let's do the deep dive on Barris for a second. She is of the same race as Undali. She's seen fighting on the first battle of Genosis in Attack of the Clones. She's there as she has an actress playing her. And so she's a combat vet. And so she's been in the war from the beginning. She is a fighter pilot. At the beginning of the Battle of Umbara, which is one of the better four-episode arcs in the Clone Wars, and we're certainly going to cover all four of them. So she's there, and she becomes a major player by the end of the series. And again, we're not going to spoil that. Her connection to Ahsoka. They are tried in battle together. Here and in the last episode of this arc... They have a relational connection. They depend on each other. They suffer for each other. They fight for each other. They fight each other. And there is real connection between she and Ahsoka that matters in terms of where Barriss's storyline plays out. Any thoughts before moving on into into the underground tunnel? No, most of my thoughts, uh, the things that I'm thinking of are there. So, Cut to Inside the Hive. And we saw this in Attack of the Clones, but that's obviously not part of the bench. And so for the first time, we are seeing the guts of the spaces that the Geonosians sleep and reside. And it looks like an insect hive. It made me think of, because not only are you seeing the hive of all the insects, but you're also seeing the throngs of the, the droid soldiers and kind of that type of production it it, it kind of made me think of in i think it's the two towers when when the two hobbits look inside of the tree and you see the the like birthing and quote production of the orukai coming up out of the ground and it's this expansive massive factory that's good i hadn't thought about that in terms of the orukai but what do you do with your villainous characters they're not birthed out of love and affection if you want to really make the bad guys even worse they're just manufactured by machines and it's a dehumanizing and not only that they're they're, you manufacture them at night you manufacture them underground and 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 keep them away from light it is interesting to see the geonosians super organic uh, alien bug-like creatures and and super organic planet with the the um, very natural looking structures and the very cavernous insect-like uh, you know subsurface structures. It's interesting to see the contrast of them producing uh, you, you know all these yeah. uh, droids and and robots. Uh, yeah. So just literally uh, aesthetically, culturally, whatever. It's just kind of an interesting juxtaposition. 
You're in the Mines of Moria. You're trying to get through the hive. This is a very unsettling space to be. Varys um, sees all of these creatures around her, um, and she says, They're sleeping. We have to find another way. We don't have time. This direction is the fastest. Ahsoka. Maybe you're wrong. Trust me. This is the first time Ahsoka has questioned somebody else. And Barris says, trust me. And that comes back to the theme that's stated in the proverb up front. All that Ahsoka wants is to be trusted. And now she has a character who's a female like her saying, I need you to trust me. I studied the 200, you know, pathways through this. A single Geonosin wakes up, begins to follow at a distance, and this is kind of a scary scene. They're in that hive, it's very dark, and now you have somebody who's stalking you from behind. Barra says, left at the next junction, but there's a dead end. Ahsoka, if we make a wrong turn, we may never find our way out. You do remember the way, don't you? Of course I do. It's not left, it's up. It's this way. And here is the fairly explicit Lord of the Rings reference. There's a place where Gandalf is trying to remember where he is in the Mines of Moria, and he goes, ah, it's that way. Um, it's also the case that just like Lord of the Rings, these two are kind of like Sam and Frodo. They are inside of Mordor trying to blow up the tower, and outside is a distraction. All of Aragorn's forces are outside trying to draw the forces of Mordor out so that they can give space to the two hobbits, the young ones, the ones who don't have all the experience, giving them the space to actually do the destructive work. And a lot of overlap on these again. It, it, I like it's a good scene because it also feels very human. In the, it just, or very, very, I, I guess technically they're not humans, but... Um, it, it, it's very human in the sense that it is very relatable, that no matter how hard you plan, you sometimes can be wrong and you're fallible and, and the best laid plans can go wrong. And it's just a moment where you, you realize there's some real skin in the game at this moment because it's like, oh God, they're lost. Yeah. There's something to be said here in terms of valuing the intellect versus emotions. Sometimes the emotional person is actually correct in the long run. Thank you. You did tell me all the reasons. You told me the reasons. You gave me the list of the reasons. And guess what? I, my fears were still justified. And notice how some of this actually did play out. I had an intuitive sense, perhaps. People that are emotional aren't always unjustified in their feelings. Uh, some feelings are apt. Cut to a battle scene above ground and Poggle deploying the super tanks, which he said were presently being constructed. You know, I mean, I'm just going to make a tank here in the next 20 minutes and that's impenetrable by the most powerful Jedi in the universe. They're, they're basically Legos. You just click a couple of pieces together. It's coming out of the printer. <laughs> so funny. Anakin, Rex, and Undali are fighting back. But their lasers are not penetrating the tanks. And inside we see Ahsoka running past the droid factory from Attack of the Clones. You'll remember. We cut to the Geonosian soldiers then. And they are telling the robot general that uh, Ahsoka and Barriss have penetrated the fortress. 
and that they're planting bombs. I, I wrote that down too. That's just a fun moment. The, the some of the lines they give to droids are routinely my favorites, and like the, the sort of assurance, yeah. uh, the assurance of these frail, relatively easy to destroy things. Of like, oh, they could never have gotten past security. It's like, dude, where have you been the last several <laughs> thousands of years? You have not been paying attention to the first two seasons yeah. of this. Show. Haven't you seen these movies, bud? Daniel, putting the comic relief in the mouth of droids who are going to get beheaded, destroyed, ripped apart. This is frequently a move in the show. It's true. I don't know if there's a Shakespearean element to this or... I think you, Shakespeare routinely puts sort of ridiculous or, or comedic observation into the mouths of less important characters. They're oftentimes drunks or clowns or, or peasants. They're, they're, not, they're not people of status. You know what I mean? They're in, in Shakespeare plays, they're oftentimes around kings and queens and noble people and, and who are very, very sure of themselves. And the comic relief becomes these sort of, these characters that don't matter are the ones with the comedic observations on life. And a less deep explanation of it. It's, it's the putty men from Power Rangers. It's Team Rocket blasting totally. off again in Pokemon. It's, it's, uh, it satisfies a need in every single episode right there, there's got to be something to to cut down and illustrate and um yeah i think just the, on the format of the the storytelling too is just kind of you need some of those breaks or this easily uh cut downable <laughs> force well said it's what makes faulty towers such a great show you want to see an unbelievably arrog arrogant character who who definitely hasn't earned that arrogance you want to see that person get cut down to size. You're like, all right, this person is the person, right. you know, like, you know, okay, well, they could never gotten past security. Oh, that guy's going to die in like a minute. <laughs> it's the not even God can sink this ship. Right. <laughs> oh, oh, that ship is going down. Don't you realize you're in a movie, man? Right. <laughs> right, exactly. Ahsoka says, after they plant the bombs. And now we make ourselves scarce. And then the army comes in. Layout looks just like the inside of the second Death Star in Return of the Jedi. The, the, there's kind of a lot of those, those structures here. Anakin sees that the bombs are active. And then the tension begins to elevate. This is a place where, whether or not it's good storytelling, the, there ends up being, here's where things get more tense and need to get more tense. It appears that the Jedi are overpowered. All the bombs that Ahsoka and Barriss have planted are collected by, by these bug-like creatures. Poggle instructs the army to kill the Padwans, and Ahsoka and Barriss begin to fight back. Ahsoka throws one of her last remaining bombs, and it hits the tank. Robot General says, the super tank is impervious to all weapons. Of course, it blows up and blows the robot up next to it. <laughs> Which, that, that was one of those moments where when, when she says, see if your tank can take this, and just the arrogance of like, oh, it's not going to beat our tanks. And it's two right. feet from his head. Outside, the Republic forces are having problems. And Anakin is yelling, Rex, tell the men to fall back. But, sir, you can't be asking us to turn tail and run. That's a very Rex kind of thing to say it's like i'm here to do the job i'm gonna win i'm not asking you to run rex i want to draw those tanks out onto the bridge i see what you have in mind i always come prepared master let's go 
He's held that card in his back pocket for a while now. She told him he wasn't prepared earlier in the episode. And now they're in the middle of battle. Everything looks like it's going poorly. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm prepared. I got this. I'm, I'm, uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to Indiana Jones this on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> Inside, the Padawans are also having issues, and Barris has to save Ahsoka from the tanks that have come into the room. And outside, again, Anakin and Indali are planting bombs, and there's clankers that are driving their tanks across the bridge, and they're chasing after the fleeing Republic army. Then Anakin and Undali detonate the bombs under the bridge, and all the tanks fall into the cavern in their celebrations. The one thing in putting together the binge list that kind of irks me is that this bridge is real similar to the bridge that we see at the beginning, the very first shot that we have in our binge in which uh, Obi-Wan is trying to take a bridge, and Anakin shows up. And now he's experienced, and now he's got Rex, and they know how to take a bridge. But I bet you the creators of the show thought, this is really a great little image here, and they wanted to repeat it. Anakin says, Where are they? Those bombs are going to go off any second now. Rex, any sign of Ahsoka or Barris on your side? No, sir, but this place is getting ready to blow. The evacuation ships are arriving. I suggest you get on one. Not without Ahsoka. My Padawan will not fail. Ahsoka, can you hear me? Ahsoka, where are you? There's a need to experience real peril, and then there's a cut inside. Any thoughts there before we we jump to really the climax of this episode? To me, this is is the only time where I actually feel like you're seeing Anakin be protective or or worried about her. Like I actually see some big brotherness here that I that I'm not seeing at the top of the episode. But I think that it, isn't that kind of that the big brother relationship though, right? Where like even at the top, right, where they're they're fighting, they're bickering. I mean, that is because they have a relationship and they do care about each other. So, especially for you, Daniel, it's kind of a you know kind of warming up to the character of Anakin for the first time really since the prequels. It's that kind of stuff where you where you you do go, go oh, okay, that is like a, a humanizing moment or or a, or a redemptive moment for where you kind of understand like okay there there is layers here i mean i am saying that I, i'm saying i don't necessarily see it before but but there are there are two moments this moment and then there's there's another one i should have wrote down specifically when but there's another one at the end where i wrote down like i'm really seeing a strong protective nature in him come out towards her and 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 i like that and would like to see more of ac- that like an actual does that make sense Oh, you wait. <laughs> I'm sure, as I say, I'm sure I will. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not worried. <laughs> Barris pitches the real problem that's going to drive the tension here, and she says, "The bugs took the bombs. What are we going to do now? I don't know what to do without the bombs. Well, this tank could destroy the power generator, and probably us along with it. I guess that's our only choice." All of a sudden, things got real dark. We need to blow this thing up for the sake of our friends who are outside who are going to get killed. Again, very Lord of the Rings-ish here. We need we, we need to destroy the ring, but the volcano is going to kill us. Yeah. Well, and Jeff, to, to your point in the last episode, right, about everyone just being 
young, so young and, and in this war. I mean, here you have two very young Padawans that are like, okay, here we go. This is it. This is this is service. This is line of duty. Let's do it. I think you're exactly right where it's, I think an older person may not think this way. I think a younger person may just be like, no, I'm part of the cause. I'm so invested in the cause. It's worthy of my one and only life. That sacrifice, I think, is actually really beautiful. And I think it's the company person. that It's the mentality of the company man that we talked about in the last episode really shining through of saying our mission and the greater good is, is worth more than is worth more than my individual life, our individual lives. What happens to us doesn't matter, provided we bring freedom and justice to the galaxy. I think this is going to be one of the few critiques I make of, of most of the Clone Wars, but I think it's a mistake for them to blow up the bridge. I think they should have kept that tension. They had the tension of, here come the tanks, here come the droids, we're being overwhelmed. And this next line really works for me. Because Ahsoka calls on her intercom, she says, Master, can you hear me? And the only thing Anakin says is, Set off the bombs, we're trapped! If Ahsoka needed a reason to make a self-sacrificial play, this is it. And her love for her older brother, for her master here in this moment, is really genuine. That she hears that and she says, I'm sorry, Master. We can't make it out. And he genuinely calls back. Can't make it out. Ahsoka, wait! And then she says, fire. The only message that they send to each other is you're in peril. I will be the solution. Both of them are willing to make this self-sacrificial play. And the filmmaking here is actually really great. The, no the battle noises all go down in volume and the music really comes up at this moment and the explosions are kind of muted and there's just this orchestral score that's propelling the drama and the clones are running and for me okay. Lord of the Rings did this when it was released in you know and it and this clearly is doing it but there's a lot of 9-11 imagery here of there were heroes on the inside of that tower and the tower fell down and the debris is going everywhere and there's smoke in the air and we are feeling the emotions of it. And, and you see that both in Lord of the Rings, but you all, but, but we saw it on television and the tower is destroyed and the source of, I mean, the twin towers weren't the source of evil, but that's certainly the case here. And those who are causing the diversion were actually dis successful, but now they don't know if their friends are healthy and safe inside. Well, it's a great climax to, to the episode and why it's a, a character-driven episode. Like I said at the top, it's a little bit more, more intimate, more focused story, uh, and some of even the more comical, um, jabby, uh, dialogue in the beginning it comes full circle in this and and you do get to see that like this episode is to really specifically highlight the relationship of Anna Anakin and Ahsoka uh, and there there is love there uh, I mean th these characters care about each other so different from what you see at the beginning where you think he's just man repting yeah this person over again 
it allows you to to live in that space for a moment but if you really get into the characters there's other things going on it's just a great storytelling and filmmaking moment like it's it's in so many things and it never you know there's some movie tropes where when they happen i'm like oh my god yep saw that marching down the road stop doing that but this is one of those moments that will routinely pull me in every time when it's like Someone sacrificed themselves yeah. for somebody else, and you do, like in like in Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade. You know they get out. You don't know if he's coming out of there because he's on the tank. You know what I mean? Like, did he go over? Like, it, it's yeah, it's never not good. That's well said. And so so much of film in the last twenty thirty years, especially with superhero films and fantasy films, pushes into that because they want to show you that we're connected to each other and self sacrificial moves are beautiful tony stark man at the end it of... hits every time that whole movie hits every time yep. every single time it hits well and it's because you get the all the stuff up front with him and pepper and then him and his daughter and everything and then then uh sort of a very selfish self-protective character of tony stark in so many films you suddenly see this he's the anti-anakin in, in a lot of ways in some of what we've talked about you see tony stark go to this place where he's like i've got all these things that i really wanted to protect and the only way for me to do it is to is to and i love that happens a few times and the mcu pushes into that over and again it's in thor it's in uh the first avengers tony stark riding the missile into space my favorite it, it crushes me every time more than probably any of the others is is uh, the death of Groot. Oh, um, man, yeah. And how they are able to build the chemistry, the connection between those characters, and then have one of them say, I'm going to sacrifice myself. And it's it, with, with Groot, it's, it's for me, it's not only is it Groot's sacrifice, it's the 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 softening and humanization of rocket when he's when he's weeping yes. at the like that no Groot, you can't you'll die why are you doing this why i'm makes me want to cry talking about it I, yes. I, part of me is like this is a raccoon that's cursing and yelling like and i'm about to tear up but but it is just that that sacrificial human you know those the sacrificing obviously humanizes the person doing the sacrificing, but it also it also humanizes the person who lost the person who sacrificed himself. Yep. So that was a that was a little long that was a long way to make the point I was trying to make. Sorry. <laughs> no, but it's great storytelling if you can expose the hearts of people, make you care about their connection, make you care about their past and their future, and then put them in moments like that. That's 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 what the game is right there. Anakin starts calling out, Ahsoka, Ahsoka, can you hear me? Come in. Master Luminara, don't worry. Be at ease, Skywalker. And this again gonna be the very different ways that these two Jedis approach life. At ease, we need to act now. Ahsoka and Barriss may still be alive down there. Again, very 9-11-ish. There's not enough time. I sense them drifting away. No, we'll get them out and she already engages that non-attachment side of her tradition. Anakin does is all attachment. He's all attachment to Padme. He's all attachment to Ahsoka. He's all attachment to, to his mom prior to leaving. And here it's, no, we need to get them out. Rex comes in, he says, The tank lifters are here to move the debris as ordered, General. Get to it, Rex. And then we cut to the Padawans who are deep under the rubble. 
How deep do you think we're buried? Which, by the way, is one of the top 10 questions I never, ever, ever want to ask. <laughs> I'll take anything over being, being trapped and, and buried underground. Anything at all. How painful is it to go through a tree shredder? How? I mean, uh, but, there's things like that. They just uh, how how deep are we buried? How many fingers do you think I can lose before I pass out? Do we really have to kill Uncle Joe? He's got the zombie thing going. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we cut to the pad once we're deep under rubble. <laughs> how deep do you think we're buried? Asuka says. It's probably best not to think about it. There's some non-attachment. Hand me that power cell, would you? Thanks. Mind holding the light? Whatever you're doing, I hope it works, because I'd sure rather have died fighting up there than starve to death down here. Soka says... Don't worry. There's lots of don't worry in this episode. We'll run out of air long before we starve. <laughs> that That is optimistic. Outside, we have the most important dialogue of the episode, I think. So we should talk about this. Um, Skywalker says, We cannot abandon our Padawans. You misjudge me. I too care for my apprentice. But if their time has come... I refuse to let Ahsoka die. She will find a way out. If my Padawan has perished, I will mourn her. But I will celebrate her as well through her memory. Well, I still plan on celebrating this victory with my Padawan. In person. Might be some foreshadowing here. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it might. Talk about it, Josiah. It shows just attachment, but also for Anakin, I mean, the still the emotional, but also I think maybe just a future Sith thing of like, it's all about the here and now. It's all about the flesh. You know, I want to be with my Padawan. I, we will all be together actually here. I mean, it kind of goes to the, the Sith thing, being obsessed with immortality. It's like no loss, no loss of power, no loss of self, no loss of anything. And again, contrast with the, the Jedi Master who, you know, I mean, that is the Jedi way to just let everything go. But in this case, it's also interesting because I think you connect with Anakin more on the human level because, you, you know, you're hearing uh, Luminara uh, say, you know, oh, I can already feel them slipping away. It's like, yeah, but they're not. There is still a chance. There is still hope. So you're you're wrong, you know? So you either I feel like I relate to Anakin more on that of like, but you don't know. It's, it's <clears throat> this is the second moment that I wrote down where I really strongly felt you, you see true love and care and protection of of the character of Ahsoka and 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 is the only moment so far where I have uh, I have been able to sort of see myself in Anakin's shoes in a sense to where I'm like yeah this is how I would react but I really couldn't care less about this stoicism of this of this thing that we're all supposed to buy into because if my if my best friend is or sister or, or sibling is is potentially alive and I did nothing, that's not valuable to me. Right. The reason that this episode makes the cut where a lot of other episodes, which may actually have a higher quality, don't, is because the one thing that has to work in the Clone Wars is the connection between Ahsoka and Anakin. And this is one of the places that really hits. And you see passion, you see a deep fear of loss. You see Anakin coming to that place where Darth Vader isn't this guy. Darth Vader is is cold and a machine 
and comes across as uncaring and yet underneath the armor is a heart for his family and that's who this character is right here i imagine it's the case with the darth vader character we see him force force choke people we see him beside battle station operators who are blowing up planets um we see him you know hacking people to bits in hallways the thing that over and over again the beauty of star wars comes out when you're able to peer beyond the black armor and see the heart of a man who has lost everything he lost his mom he lost his lover he lost his kids he lost his future he lost his his best friend and he, and he lost his his you know his younger sibling and it materializes as a man who's just been burnt to shreds he's lost his body i don't know that there's another core to the star wars universe I think that's what it is. But it but it's also very consequential or it is a consequence because he made you know it's like he made several choices that put him on the yeah. path to that. So it's like, well, you had maybe four or five really good opportunities to slam on those brakes. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's where I think that there's like that self-sabotage uh element, right? Where where yeah, it all it does come down to all this loss and and he has all these attachments to things, and yet he has—he uh, doesn't trust authority, and has extreme commitment issues, uh, you know, to to anything. And and that's why he's always kind of half in, half out on everything he's invo- involved with, and his personality as well. And so that makes the Anakin Darth Vader relationship all that more interesting. This is where it's the Shakespearean tragedy. What? There is something about this character that goes back into the into the Greeks, you know, and we see it in contemporary tellings of Breaking Bad, where you have the the good person who slowly descends into hell. Or, I mean, arguably, Godfather and Godfather Two are, you know, some of the great movie making of the last century, and that's the story. How many of us don't? have fears that well if x y and z was taken from me i am just gonna mail it in and become an awful person you know i did that like i'll i'll have those thought those thought patterns and i imagine a lot of us do and oh yeah and god save us from going down those roads well it's, it's what makes uh, i think breaking bad is a great example i think um i know some of the latter seasons of it weren't great but uh that's what makes the show house i think really really interesting and 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 really compelling is that he's a he's a brilliant doctor he's got everything but he has this Mm -hmm. he has this accident and a problem in his the muscles in his leg to which he becomes a drug addict so his house decides none of this matters i'm just gonna i have this pain problem i'm just gonna do drugs and i'm gonna save people's lives and nothing else matters yep except it does because secretly he cares about people but that's yeah but there's this thing that he can't get past yeah. and that controls everything. House is controlled by his pain and therefore his fear, just in the same way that the, all these other characters we've talked about are. The great thing about, okay, so emotionally for me, if I can describe this with other stories and really get into the heart of the character of Darth Vader in that space, and then you were to tell me, and I say this as a father, if you were to say, you were in that spot and the only thing that's going to save you is the love of one of your kids. That crushes me. You know? Yeah. <laughs> there is something about seeing my I was in the darkest possible spot in which just it was just all recklessness and murder. 
and I was enslaved. That's the thing about Anakin that goes throughout his life, uh, with the exception of, his, of this experience in the Clone Wars, is he's always a slave, except for when he's part of the Jedi Order. And it's his son who saves him from his slavery. Yeah. Under the rubble, Barra says, What happens to us now doesn't matter. By destroying this factory, we've saved countless lives elsewhere. And Ahsoka... Well, I'm about to save two more. And again, there's that attachment, non-attachment going on here. Uh, this moment in Barris didn't work for me because there's ah. this idea of like, I'm not dying down here, that's meaningless. To suddenly, you know, it's better to be up there than dying down here is pointless. And now suddenly she's like, well, it doesn't matter what happens to us. We've done a, we've done a, a great good down here. She's, in, she's stressed out and trying to spin this thing the best she can before she dies. I think, too, you see in the Padawans kind of a reflection of their masters in this point right because Barris is like well let me think about what this means in terms of my place as a Jedi and okay this seems like the place to let go whatever we, we did our best and then you see the improvisation from Ahsoka that is very Anakin like in that yeah. moment of nope I'm not dying I'm gonna figure this out and she finally takes charge after being more submissive in the rest of the episode when, when it really counts, which is saving their lives mm. and saving everybody's life. It almost seems like with the Jedi rule, it's like you are supposed to, not only are you supposed to deny yourself feelings, I think you're also supposed to lie to yourself and not be honest about your feelings because yep. suddenly she's like, you know what, you're right. What happens to us doesn't matter. We'll talk about this a lot in the future, but there's... A handful of virtues that materialize later in the stories that are bigger than Jedi Stoic philosophy and spirituality. And one of the yeah. big virtues that you that we begin to see with Ahsoka and Rex and some of the clones, and they pull Anakin into it, is love. Love gets mocked in the Star Wars universe. I love you. I know. Love is consistently shunned by the Jedi Order. And yet the only reason that the story ends with a balancing of the forces is because Luke loves his dad. Yeah. Well, it's funny. It doesn't seem like there's any love in the Sith either, though. You know what I mean? No. Like for, for, the, for the sect of the religion, this supposed to be like, feel your feelings, man. It's cool. It's just a lot of people hating each other. There's no one who's just like, man, I'm just so stupid recklessly loving self i mean love of self right well sure ego. but but still it, we, right yeah, right yeah, we're I still totally we're still talking that. about it in a corrupt sense i mean and that's yeah. what the sith is obviously but um, yeah sometimes you elevate one passion over the others and it's unhealthy and that's what both that's what both the sith and the jedi do and they have not totally. actually come to understand what the principal values in the universe are that they ought to connect to. If only, if only there was sort of a gray space in between <laughs> those two. <laughs> there is one Jedi who we will see later on who is a early instantiation of this, and that's Kanan. And the where Kanan's story lands in terms of pushing past the stoicism of the Jedi, but not fully in, but pushing into love and not the anger or the cutting off all emotions. Kanan's Kanan's story ends up being superbly told, at, um, and we'll get there. 
Mother Shed, you're you are going to cry your eyes out. Let me just tell you, as you get to the end of Rebels, <laughs> once you do the binge, brother, once you get through the binge, <laughs> dear listener, you haven't watched the end of Rebels yet. But I will tell you, if you like Star Wars, you have you have not lived yet. You are going to break down for a couple days here at the. I mean, Josiah is nodding alongside me, ferociously nodding. One one of you is going to have to take my calls or texts when I'm upset about this. So <laughs> that's what we're at. <laughs> Anakin decides that the machines aren't going to dig fast enough, and again, there's kind of a 9/11. Let's bring in the wizards and just solve this sucker and Indali begin moving pieces and they obviously uncover pad ones underneath. Anakin sees Ahsoka. I knew they were still alive. I told you we shouldn't give up on them. It's not that I gave up, Skywalker, but unlike you, when the time comes, I am prepared to let my student go. Can you say the same? And of course, he can't say the same. That's not in his heart as all. And it may be the case that that's a terrible principle to have. Or... You know, how do you wrestle with that? How do you wrestle with losing a student, losing a child, losing someone you care about? You know, you can shut off all emotions and not live. But I also feel like that that's another moment. <laughs> that's another moment where I just feel like, what a passive aggressive thing for, for a Jedi to say. And like, yeah. that's not stoic. That's That's like finding a really dry way to insult somebody. It's like, yes, I understand this, but clearly mm. you do not because yeah. you are stupid and immature and dumb. But I've said it in this calm, very wise way, you stupid idiot. And I, and I just think that's, I don't know, there, there's something kind of hideous about that. But then there's also kind of goes back to the the Shakespearean tragedy too, right? Where we're celebrating Anakin kind of holding on to something in contrast to the Jedi letting everything go. But then here Anakin loses everything anyways and has the ultimate fall and it and is becomes uh, does so much more harm. So maybe there is something. The surrender of the Jedi is in that greater good sense and in the sense of like. You know, well, we don't know what's going to happen. All these things are going to happen anyway. So the bigger picture is still ultimately out of our control. And so maybe there is something to that, whereas there's short gains here based on attachment and, and relationships, but uh, ultimately still still loses all those things that he fought for. The, the thing that hits me is this is going to be the primary two conversations in episode three are essentially this. Uh, Anakin comes to Yoda and has their confessional time where he says he's fearing the death and loss of people that he loves. And Yoda says you shouldn't fear for their, for their death. You grieve them not, uh, miss them not. They're going to become part of the force. And that's just not where Anakin's at. It's just not a good answer for him in that space. Sometimes the answers that we give to people who are grieving, so I lost my mom here recently, sometimes the answers that work for some people in their grieving process are just fantastic and some of them are trash meeting people where they are in their grieving and their wrestling with existential issues really matters and nobody does it for anakin except for one person and his name's palpatine and he meets him where he is he says here's your fears let me let me try to alleviate your fears and of course he does it in a very dark way and that's the turn i knew you'd come looking for me I never doubted you for a second. Which is, here is my full trust. And that's what the episode's been about. Uh, can Anakin trust Ahsoka? And here it is said in bold, 
And Undali restates this. Your master never lost faith the Music in you. begins to play. Here we are, brothers. Heck yeah. Last words on this episode? I, I like what Josiah said earlier, that, it, that, that as much as it is about war, it, it feels like a very... Um, feels like a very character-driven episode. Like, it, it, it is more about the relationships than it is about the the, the battle. Yeah. 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 And I like Yeah, it. I like this episode for the for the same reasons. A little bit smaller. And, and, and yeah, I, I particularly, since, since I've seen, seen it all, I definitely particularly read into just the way Barriss is a better Jedi or, or a better student in this case, and just the introduction here and, and wh- where this goes. I agree. Great storytelling that takes place in action films that are war films. It's always about the characters. I don't care about your explosions. I don't care about your CGI. I want to care about the, the two guys on the front line. Next time, we're going to be jumping into the first episode of Season 3, which is called Clone Cadets. So this will be our seventh episode in the binge. This is a fantastic world-building episode. Lots of heart here. Lots of insight into the world of the clones. Uh, We're going to hear some of the foot soldiers, and we're going to tell you their stories. Um, So this episode introduces a handful of characters that have real meaningful stories throughout, and they're going to be with us to the end. Fives is introduced. Echo is introduced. Shakti is introduced. 99 is introduced, who is a fantastic character. And this will also be the first time we see Kamino in the binge, although it's in Attack of the Clones. We see the system for creating and training the clones. We also are introduced to bounty hunters for the first time in the binge. And this episode is actually directed by Dave Filoni himself. And this one is actually a personal favorite of mine. So I'm, I'm excited to, to jump into it. Anything that needs to be set up with clone cadets? This is the one with Boba Fett, right? Or is this different? This is the squad that looks like they're going to get kicked off the island. They're not going to make it. I've already forgotten the name of the squad. Oh, yes, yes, Um, yes. But they have bounty hunters there training them, and they're kind of in these war simulations, and they have to learn how to be a team. Yes, yes, yes. Super enjoyable, I thought. Here are the things, just a couple things that we're skipping. We are skipping the next two episodes of the Geonosis arc, but they have some excellent scenes if you want to go beyond our 40-hour binge. Uh, Legacy of Terror is the next episode. We meet Karina the Great, who's the queen of the Geonosians under the ground. This has bearing on some episodes of Rebels and the future of this planet and shows some excellent character moments between Anakin and Obi-Wan as diplomats. Obviously, you can go back and watch some of episode two, Attack of the Clones to fill in some of the lore and visuals for Geonosis. Most importantly, though, if you if you do finish this arc, the next episode is called Brain Invaders, and it sets up very important themes that we will later see in terms of objects in the brain affecting people's actions, specifically the clones. And here it's worms. And there's a lot of Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan stuff with mind control worms entering, you know, the Star Wars universe. But in these skipped episodes, we see more scenes with Anakin Skywalker becoming deeply angered when he can't save people that he cares about. And we see Anakin going 
you know, Dark Knight when he gets a bad guy alone in an interrogation room. And there's a lot of fun zombie throwbacks here, but all sorts of foreshadowing of Order 66. Uh, lots of great storytelling, lots of great visual images around the coming of Order 66. And there's a few uh, homages to James Cameron's Aliens movies here, which are really fun. Which is the first thing I thought of when you said the bug queen. I was like, of course, yeah, the xenomorph queen. Yeah. entirely what it is and, and if you do check it out uh, you get some fun obi-wan stuff kind of some interesting development for me there's a couple things where you see more personality from him and i feel like in the rest of the geonosis stuff you, you get to see some interesting things from him as well obi-wan the tacticianer comes in here yeah well you guys got any last thoughts Contained in a children's television show about war, I think we we see some really good we see some good things about honesty, trust, and friendship and human connection. That's an excellent place to land. Hey, as with all podcasts, this one will only survive if you share it with passion to friends who love a galaxy far, far away. It would mean the world to us if you take just two seconds right now and give us some stars on iTunes or simply share this on your social media of choice. Music here is by John Williams, Samuel Kim, Ludwig Gordonson, and the great Kevin Kiner. All Star Wars material is created by the phenomenal artists at Lucasfilm. And you can find all the links to all of our stuff at StarWarsBinge.com or on the Twitter. He's Daniel Mothershed. The evacuation ships are arriving. I suggest you get on one. Many thanks to Josiah. You can destroy the Emperor. He has foreseen this. It is your destiny. And I'm Jeff Cook. If you're finished with your little discussion, we do have a factory to destroy. And you want to know why? This is the way. Because this is the way. This is the way. We have spoken. The dark side of the Force has clouded their vision, my friend. I have spoken.